prosecution outlined how accounting practices what fuck? What? did not What kind of likeness is that? If they were great artists, they'd be in a museum. I'm fucking fodder for cartoonists now. Listening to another episode of Gutter Boys. Gutter Boys is a small press comics podcast. Ins and outs, highs and lows, yada yada. I'm your host JB with my co-host Cam. Uh, on this episode, we are joined with Ohio-based cartoonist, I guess programmer. Yeah, I would say so. Software developer, programmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Victoria Douglas, uh, who uh, was at the Hawking Hills retreat uh, as well that we recently went to. I, I guess that was like two weeks ago at this point. Three weeks ago. I don't. God, I think it's over a month ago at this point, right? Yeah, and I, my sense of time is fucked yeah. still, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, we uh, get into it, talk about uh, her work, uh, Cinnamon, along with the upcoming book, uh, and uh, of course, Halftone Hospital. Uh, shout out Halftone Hospital, great uh, great resource, but we get into all that. Uh, we're going to make this one pretty brief. Uh, we're kind of on a time crunch here, as usual. Yeah, the, we have to edit this and get it out by, you know, the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty much. much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. I'm going to be heading out to Chicago for a friend of the show, Alex Knoll's uh, wedding, also past guest. Uh, he's uh, getting married this weekend. So, you know, all the, the, the cartoon Hannah. Congratulations yes, to the lovely yes. couple. Shout out to Hannah. Yeah. So a lot of, uh, actually a lot of past guests and friends of the show will be there. So that'll be nice. Maybe I'll bring my recording equipment. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Actually, no, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Let's be fucking real. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we just wrapped up uh, doing uh, a review of the much hyped comic adjacent, I guess, indie movie, Funny Pages with uh, Frenemy. Frenemy of the show. And at this point, a uh, third gutter boy, Ramon Villalobos, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, because, uh, because uh, you know, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think we're going to get another episode of Mex Fontayo for a while. But, yeah, I think uh, that show's over. Nobody wants to admit yeah. it, but it's over. Yeah. But, you know, also... Related- Actually, no, 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 it's not over. Pack Watch. Let's put Mex Montayo on Pack Yeah, Watch. I mean, we're hoping it's over. <laughs> it should be over for yeah. everyone's sake. Um, shout out to our friend Daniel Irizarry, who's out in Puerto Rico, obviously uh, impacted quite a bit by uh, Hurricane Ian. Uh, mm-hmm. So he recently just got his power back, so that's great to hear. But, uh, you know, a lot of uh, infrastructure stuff is still, uh, you know, reeling from uh, what was a Category 5 hurricane. So shout out to all those people. Also shout out to uh, friends, family, whatnot, who are in Florida. Uh, luckily, wasn't as severe as many people were expecting, but still it's pretty bad. Lots of flooding, yeah. power outages still affecting many parts of the state. So, you know. Hope hopefully power gets back on soon. Hopefully uh, everybody bounces back uh, sooner rather than later. And then uh, also we want to do another shout out to some friends on the other side of the globe. Our comrades over in Russia, um, the Archims. Uh, we got Trakhanov and Toplin. Uh, you guys are all probably familiar with their work. 
and uh, with them on Twitter, but they are currently in the process of uh, evacuating Russia, and uh, you know our hearts and thoughts are with them. Yeah, uh, the Artyom brothers, great cartoonists. Uh, we should. They don't like being called that. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're great. not brothers in real life. <laughs> yeah, they're not brothers. No, they're not related. Uh, great comic artists. Uh, very, very uh, sweet, funny dudes. And uh, all the best. Uh, hope they stay safe. What's going on there is real shitty. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's really not much, much I can say outside of it sucks. And yeah, pretty you know, much. I'm just you know yeah. glad that they seem to be doing okay for now. So um, if you want to support the kids. Um, Hit up Artyom uh, Trakhanov on Twitter at, uh, it used to be a Bunchio, but I forgot his new name. Oh, did he change it? I didn't yeah, it, uh, it's something else. Hang on, I'm looking it up right now. Um, if you want to support Artyom, uh, join his Patreon. You can find him on Twitter at Vor, V-O-R underscore B-O-K-O-R. And he's got a link in his bio where you can support him. And if you want to support Artyom Toplin, uh, he's got a ongoing series right now called I Hate This Place with a special variant that says Fuck This Place coming out from Image and Skybound. Uh, word on the street is a uh, friend of the show, Blake Sims, makes his first ever appearance in that comic in the background. Oh, hell yeah. So uh, make sure to get very excited. Yeah. So but definitely if you want to support the kids, uh, you know, definitely support them. And uh, yeah, like we said, our thoughts are with those guys and just hoping everything's cool with them. Yeah, not enough real dude Kentucky guy representation, and so it it's good to hear that we're finally getting that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, if you want to hear us talk about cartoonist representation, join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gutterboys or gutterboys.top. Like JB said at the beginning of the episode, our next episode is an hour and a half deep dive on the movie Funny Pages. Why is it an hour and a half and not an hour? Because Ramon was on it, and he likes to hear himself talk, <laughs> uh, but... That will be up on the Patreon next Monday, uh, so definitely make sure to subscribe if you're interested in hearing our thoughts on that. I don't want to, you know, give out any spoilers or anything, but um, if you saw my reaction to the film on Instagram, <laughs> then I'm sure you already DM me about it. Yeah, but you'll hear more about it uh, in in that bonus episode. I actually really enjoyed that one. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Uh, probably one of our better ones in the last couple of months, which is not saying a lot. Yeah, it was but, actually uh, it was actually like real talk, quote unquote. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It was real talk is also very funny. We, uh, you know, we do some bits, you yeah. know, banter. Mm -hmm. if, if you want some good, solid banter, I think uh, that episode specifically is worth the price of admission for at least one month. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. So yeah, uh, let's uh, go ahead and just cut to uh, the interview. After the break, we'll be joined with Victoria. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. What do a pair of deadly assassins, a beefy pile of roided up high school football players, a zombie outbreak, cute dragons, and a himbo barbarian have in common? You can find them all in the upcoming pages of the Santos Sisters. That's right. Ambar and Alana are back for more gripping adventures. Once again, Offset Press printed in full color on your favorite decadent newsprint. Prestigious publication. The Comics Journal. Love the first issue. Calling it a highly entertaining comic. And Katie and Sally from the Thick Lines podcast called it a masterpiece. And more than they deserve. And who are we to disagree? The Santos Sisters. is available now. Don't miss out. Ask your favorite comic book retailer to add it to your pull list today. Or find it online at SantosSisters.com. 
Rust Belt Review is a quarterly comics lit magazine featuring serialized and short form comics from some of the most exciting cartoonists in the small press scene today. Volume 1 features work from Gutter alums, M.S. Harkness, Audra Stang, and Caleb Arecchio, along with work by Andrew Greenstone, Sean Knickerbocker, and Juan Jose Fernandez. You can order your copy of Rust Belt Review today by going to rustbeltreview.org. Enter in promo code GUTTER to receive two bucks off your order. Again, that website is rustbeltreview.org. Promo code GUTTER. Athenium Comic Art is an original art website for some of the best cartoonists in the business. They currently represent Remy Boydell, Marie Capel France, Nicole Gu, Jonathan Hill, Emma Hunsinger, Casey Nowak, Micah Song, and Tilly Walden. Athenium Comic Art gives fans the opportunity to own original piece of art from their favorite comics and support the artists that they love. In their short time in business, they've already shipped many iconic pages out to hardcore fans across the globe. Don't miss out on your chance to own a one-of-a-kind piece of history. Check out their website, AtheniumComicArt.com, and type in Gutter Gang at checkout to receive free shipping on your first order. Again, the website is AtheniumComicArt.com, and the code is GutterGang. loves underground comics everybody loves underground comics and if you know people who don't love underground comics and only read the mainstream comics immediately report them to your local comic book store and find them with copies of Clusterfucks Comics. Clusterfucks Comics is a black and white underground anthology comic scene featuring some of the best underground comics creators today. Creators like Cameron Zavala, Eric Jasek, Brian Judge, Miguel Aguilar, Adam Yeeter, Jason Cavelli, Umberto Tonella, Anna Peterson, Tony DePasquale, Drewby Hall, and so many more. Issues 1 through 4 are available now, with the fifth issue debuting in early 2023. Purchase your copies today at clusterfuckscomics.bigcartel.com. And that's comics with an X. Clusterfucks Comics. Comics you can clusterfucks with. Morning, Gary. Morning, Marianne. Need a menu? Nah, I'll just have the usual. You sure do love your eggs and coffee, Gary. Best way to start your morning, Marianne. Well, that and an issue of Town and County. What's that? Town and County is a new comic series written and drawn by cartoonist Alex Nall. He's that guy that wrote them books about teaching and that Mr. Rogers feller. Oh, he was such a nice man. The first issue is 36 pages of black and white comic stories with beautiful color covers and features six stories about folks in our little township here in Illinois, like Susie Barber, the house cleaner that uncovers her client's dirty laundry, if you know what I mean, and Stanley Pepper, that big feller that just lost his job and took to drinking every night at Bugs's Tavern. Well, ain't that something? Town & County is published by Ivy Terrace Press, headquartered in Chicago. Chicago? Who would want to live there? So dirty. Each issue comes with a copy of The Hometown Hero, our little town's newsletter, and it's only $8. $8? Where can I get it, Gary? You can order a copy of Town & County on the internet at storeenvy slash Comics. Oh, there's your breakfast, Gary. Thanks, Mary Ann. Ah, nothing like a cup of coffee and a good comic book. The Last Aviatrix is a post-nuclear adventure comic. 
by independent Los Angeles-based cartoonist Buster Cagle. The story follows Summer, our last aviatrix, who pilots the sole surviving airplane, a nuclear-powered B-29, as she travels the ruined world finding ways to survive and help humanity while dealing with the eminent threat of the Atomborn, a rare breed of atomic wizards that want to see her out of the sky. Her mission becomes complicated when she accidentally picks up Henry, an Atomborn child who wields incredible power, and Clementine, a berserker on a quest for vengeance. Can our aviatrix survive this ruined and irradiated wasteland? Every issue can be read for free on BusterKagel.com comics. Paper copies can be ordered as well, but, you know, you can still read it for free. If you like Wizards or Warplanes, go check it out. Now, back to our program. Welcome back from the break. Today, we are honored to have a very special guest here with us, Victoria Douglas. You may know Victoria from their work, uh, Biblioware, the new self-published comic, Cinnamon over at Behemoth, and uh, also the creator of a, would you call this a digital suite, uh, the Halftone Hospital? What would you call that, like the actual assemblage of the product? You know, that's a great question. Maybe uh, hesitate to say a nonprofit, but just kind of a, a repository of, of digital assets. Hell yeah. Good way to put it. Yeah. So you've uh, probably heard us plug Halftone Hospital on the show. A very cool resource for digital artists out there. We will definitely be getting into that here uh, shortly. But um, let's go ahead and just uh, start it off. Are you doing okay today, Victoria? Yeah, I'm doing great. Had had some Taco Bell for lunch. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Feeling good. What's your Taco Bell order? Yeah, we're big. Uh, we're big uh, Live Moss fourth meal heads over <laughs> here. Right now, definitely Mexican pizza. Oh, okay, it's back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I heard it's, it's back, back permanently now. I sure hope so. That's the word. I kill for the the veggie Mexican pizza. Anything with the refried beans on it is mm-hmm. heaven. Mm. So I never actually had. I tried the Mexican pizza when they brought it back, like this last time, not this time, but um, and it was pretty good. But I never had it as a kid. Is it the same? Like, did you have it when you were younger? I think I had it like once or twice, but it was never my go-to. And I okay. think like it coming back now. I, I was just prepped for it. I was like, I, I really want a Crunchwrap Supreme, but actually crunchy and with refried beans. There you go. And yeah. So that was like a slam dunk. Mm. Hell yeah. I feel like the uh, the pizza Taco Bell is is definitely for a more mature palate. <laughs> is there uh, like uh, more veggies or something on it than normal? Or is there because mine was like, I won't even lie. Mine wasn't the best made, but it just tasted like Taco Bell. It just had cheese and tomatoes on the top. <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah, how it was supposed much. to come. Okay, cool. I, I think they're supposed to have lettuce, maybe. I, okay. I would call lettuce. Yeah, it was solid though. But like you said, the crunch wrap analogy, I never thought about that, but that's totally like spot on because that's what that is. It's the non-mushy crunch wrap. Yeah. Well, it's not in like a little humid chamber. Mm-hmm. I've never had an issue with my crunch wraps. Maybe I've always just been lucky. You know, if you get them at breakfast... They're better, in my opinion. Mm. I don't know if it's like the hash brown, like, you know, putting some padding or something. But that tortilla, after like the first few bites, it just becomes like a, a mushy mess. I don't know. Interesting. Okay. But um, I, I had a hot minute where I would I would get the crunch wrap and cut it in half and like kind of peel out the little half moon of, of mushy tortilla. Yeah. And just slide in a Doritos Locos taco. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's the move. 
recrunch it up. Damn, yeah. that is uh, that is a wonderful hack. You know, I was I was like uh, I was looking it up the other day. I was uh, I was like, did they ever do a cool ranch Doritos logo taco? And apparently they did. Um, yeah, and I'm surprised yeah, did. that didn't stay on the menu. That sounds yeah, amazing. Like way to me. back when. Yeah, I miss that. I think all the Dorito shells, like they slowly, quietly phase those out. I, I don't know what happened. Oh no, they're still here in Kentucky. They still got oh, those here. Okay. Yeah, they okay. go locos for the Doritos Locos Taco down <laughs> Interesting. here. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. For a minute in Chicago, at least the the Dorito flavored shells were cheaper <laughs> than the regular shells, and really? I didn't understand why. I guess yeah, maybe yeah. they're trying to liquidate them or something. Or yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. All righty. Well, uh, enough Taco Bell. Hopefully the listeners, uh, you're still with us. Um, <laughs> yeah. But let's uh, let's get into why we're here. So Halftone Hospital, uh, let's go ahead and get started on that there. It's a series of, you know, brushes, tools and whatnot that a digital artist can use. Now, I guess to kind of tie this all together, have you always been a digital artist? Uh, for the most part, it, mm-hmm. it was definitely a big focus early on. And like my undergrad was... Uh, kind of this fusion of traditional oil painting and kind of like trying to coerce Photoshop into, into acting like um, an oil brush. Um, and it was kind of my, my white whale. And I never quite felt it was satisfactory because I was barking up the wrong tree. But kind of applying that like borderline obsession with like physical fidelity to something like comics turned out to be like a much better fit. Now, um, you mentioned that, you know, you were in, in an undergraduate program. Uh, did you go to art school? Is that what you studied formally in college? Uh, yeah, yeah. I spent about eight years at BYU. And then after a nice falling out, I finished my degree at Columbus College of Art and Design, which is where I kind of discovered comics. So I okay. went from like fine art and illustration straight into like underground small press. Now, you know, with Halftone Hospital being like, you know, a digital suite or whatever, you know, we were saying it was earlier there, like, you know, it's a tool and a bunch of resources for artists. There's some kind of software development and coding involved with developing this stuff. Um, Where does that come in? Was that just like a hobby for you or did you study that as well? I I think I think it was my my dad was an engineer and growing up, the, the choice was either art or engineering. And he kind of accepted the art path when I started like actually succeeding at it. But there was always this left brain part that said, oh, well, you know, what if you did a little bit more of this? So I I worked as a web developer for like five years. I enjoyed it. I enjoy that kind of programmatic approach to creativity because a lot of it's just creative problem solving. And so being able to code on my own and really come up with these things, very boutique, helps a lot in, in making sure like it's the right product and that I can kind of bend these tools to my will. So I think it's just kind of a concurrent thing. I gotcha. If you could do the whole like uh, explain it to me like I'm five type deal, what goes into, you know, making a digital brush? You know, what is the process like on that? If you can kind of distill that down, if, you know, you have to go long by all means, absolutely. But what is that process like? Yeah, I, I think first it's identifying a need, something that I want to be doing. And in a lot of cases, that that comes from whatever project I'm working on um, and like the very real constraints of that. So like if I scan in a page that I did with microns and went, oh, God, I want to touch up this bit or do some corrections, then like it it just kind of like makes sense to, to want that micron in my digital toolkit. And so a lot of these things start very nebulously in, in just what what are people asking for? What are people messaging me about? 
and then it's it's really just being mindful and observant. First of all, um, doing a ton of drawings specifically to like push the limits of what microns are doing. Then doing very high fidelity scans of those marks, and then and then just kind of building forward off of that. I I really don't want these tools to be like trying to mimic old school stuff while while being like contemporary or wholly digital. Um, Because that's like kind of the common thing is like, here's a smart PSD that we're going to drop your stuff into and it will make it look like you printed it with Rezo. And like, that's cool and all, but then like you're, you're missing the actual Rezo part. Right. And that's, that's like kind of the opposite that I'm trying to accomplish with Halftone Hospital is like every, every comic has a digital component. It doesn't, doesn't matter how analog you are. You're going to eventually scan it and put it together in whatever for, for your PDF to send to the printers. Like there's always a digital aspect. So I think my goal is to grease the wheels of when you choose to bring that digital aspect in to your traditional work. I want it to feel like it's, it's accenting what you're doing traditionally and like facilitating corrections or changes without like stealing it and saying, you don't need your nibs anymore. You don't need your pens anymore. We can do it all here. I think I want it to feel like a support and not a replacement. Yeah, that's fucking awesome because, you know, it seems like to have like uh, there does seem to be that whole like digital versus traditional war. So to, you know, have in your mind, like to merge the concepts rather than like, oh, how can I just make this? It's like, you know, own thing. I kind of like the uh, concept and the thought behind that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a bit difficult to like to refute. Because a lot of people are very analog or very digital and, and really kind of like hedge their bets in each camp. Yeah. But to just kind of exist in the middle is important. And like realistically, uh, most projects aren't just 100% digital either. Right. Um, maybe your final page is going to be digital only, but you may be doing sketches in a sketchbook or character designs elsewhere and all this stuff. You just need to be able to go back and forth. And that's all I want to do is facilitate that for others and, you know, obviously get these tools out as efficiently as we can, aka free, has been kind of the modus operandi from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're doing with Halftone Hospital has been a, a huge positive for a lot of new creatives and cartoonists and just people in general that want to draw digitally. And them being able to have access to these really well-made, thoughtful tools for free like you said, I, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy to think about that something like this even exists. I think it's fantastic that you're able to do this. And I, I really hope that this inspires more people to do the same and, you know, provide uh, more assets and tools for, for people who, you know, can't afford to drop $200 on a fucking digital packet or whatever. Yeah, and, and for something you might not even like. Right, right. Right, because you don't get is, to try is, it out until, you know, it's very rare you get like a sample of everything in the pack. Yeah, yeah. Or or the sampler that they release is like not, it's not enough to make like a full page with or a full illustration. It's just kind of like you can open it up and doodle around and go, ooh, that's a nice brush. But like, where does this actually fit Right. in like my workflow? Yeah. The whole thing really pulls from like free and open source software and, and from the so the software development side. Okay. Where like how how much of like software development is building on the heels of other people? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so it's about like copyright protection, but only so far as it maintains accessibility to the users. 
And so, like, I don't I don't care what people do with Halftone Hospital as long as they don't start, like, charging money for whatever they do with it, with the tools themselves. I for sure want to make, like, commercial projects with these, with yeah, these tools. But, but you don't want like, to see don't, someone, don't like, repackage them. your assets and, yeah, and yeah. claim, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's uh, it, it really is just about keeping it in the hands of the people. And, mm-hmm. and I hope this inspires people. I've, I've gotten a few people involved where they're, they're sending me scans of envelopes or halftones or things like that, and I'm going to package them up and release them. But I also hope that people feel empowered to like do that on their own yeah, and just get shit out there. So That was my next question is uh, where they're going to be future updates and do you plan on you know sticking with this for a while or do you kind of have an endpoint and goal with the development of Halftone Hospital? I, I, have, I have a pretty robust roadmap. I have a lot of projects I want to do with it. Uh, so many gaps in the digital process and, and places that are being filled by software like Clip Studio Paint in, in like a limited way. But I want to just blow the whole can open and, and really shake things up for, for digital comics. Eventually, I would love to get into physical products and designing innovative tools for, for creating traditional comics because we really haven't seen any like comics oriented innovation it all feels like it just piggybacks on drafting yeah and like architectural drawing mm-hmm. or like nobody's making truly boutique like physical tools um outside of like japan yeah and so that's that's kind of the, the very long-term kind of tinkering plan is is to make rulers and clipboards and like flat files for for comic artists specifically but that's like maybe a 10-year plan I think I'll be rolling with this at least in the very, very free software-oriented side for a long time. Now, how long were you working on this before you found it was like you know ready to be launched and everything? Negative, like a month. Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm, I'm very meticulous about my tools already, and so everything was already packaged up into these neat little folders for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I just something just kind of snapped, and I I registered the website. In one like afternoon, got it all up and running, and it was online the next day. Hmm. I feel like Halftone just like came out of nowhere <laughs> when I yeah. was when I was on Instagram. Yeah. It just like popped up on my feed, <laughs> and I was like, "What is this? Is amazing!" Like, <laughs> I, I, I think I had about a hundred followers before I even posted a thing. Yeah, which is like so weird. I think I think it's just the algorithm pointing people that follow my main account uh-huh. to it, mm-hmm. and and then people saying, "Oh my god, I really want this." Yeah. So by the time I actually posted anything, it was like ready to go, and there there were already people wanting it, which is great. I mean, the reception has been like over the moon. So good. Yeah, I mean, there's clearly a demand for stuff like this. But then you add on top of the fact that it's like nonprofit, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, I could see a lot of cartoonists being really supportive uh, of something like this. Well, it's it's such an odd thing, um, and not to like, because it's not about the money, right? But like, I've I've tried and failed like probably three or four times to start like an online Gumroad shop doing the same kind of thing of selling. Mm-hmm assets and resources because it's something that i really love doing and like i know that i'm providing value um and so to like to not get much traction before and really not have any success selling resources for like 5 10 20 bucks mm-hmm. was like maybe it was relevatory to me that maybe i didn't know who my audience was and so coming into halftone hospital and really just from the get-go saying it's got to be free 
people have still been very generous with tipping through Gumroad. Hell yeah. And so like I've made more money with a free shop than I did with any of my attempts to actually like make a living at this. Yeah. And that's just on the backs of generosity. And it's like, it's, it's not like a ton, but it's enough to pay for hosting. It's enough to pay for the ongoing development of these tools. And that's way more than I can ask for. Definitely. For sure. Well, uh, yeah. we'll definitely let you plug it at the end. But if someone were Absolutely. interested in Halftone Hospital, where can they find all that? Just if they're listening right now. It is halftonehospital.com or on Instagram at Halftone Hospital. Sick. Keep it nice and straightforward. All righty. So getting into your comics work. Where did that all, you know, I became familiar with you um, and your work, uh, honestly, through Cinnamon, which I just picked up because I thought it looked interesting off the shelf before I, you know, followed you on Instagram and everything. Um, And Behemoth was the publisher on that. But that was a fairly Mm -hmm. recent comic. And I'm assuming that your journey did not start there, considering you said that uh, once you transferred schools, that's when you kind of found like comics. Was this in Chicago that you went to school? Uh, In Columbus. Oh, Columbus, Ohio. Ohio. Sorry, I thought you said Columbia. I'm sorry. Okay, awesome. No, it's all good. Yeah, so um, were you in the comics program there with like Emmy and everything, or was this before all that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I I transferred there in 2018, Uh and prior to that, I had never touched comics. Okay. And not only that, but like comics really left a bad taste in my mouth, and I was like, I'll never do comics. I'll never do comics. I'm... I'm a fine artist. I'm an illustrator. Not to interrupt, but what was it about comics that left a bad taste in your mouth? Because I think that's like really funny Um, and not funny in like a derogatory way, because I mean, I feel like that is like the general perception uh, before you get involved. Yeah. So I I think it was it was like decades of maladaptive ideas of success Mm -hmm. and a really poor environment at the school I was at that really emphasized like productivity and stability and making a shitload of money. Um, and none of those things were really happening with any of the people graduating into comics. It, it felt self-indulgent when I would meet peers who, who were like, yeah, I'm working on my webcomic. I want to make success out of Webtoon. And it just felt like such a pipe dream mm-hmm. that wasn't like accessible. And so I, I just kind of like hesitate to say I looked down on it, but it was just that that's not for me. That's not for me. Granted, like I've been proven wrong on so many counts, like it wasn't even based in any sort of like productive modality. It was just me kind of finding ways to look down on people who are pursuing their passion. (laughs) And I mean, like it was a it was a very rigorous private university, private religious university. So it was all just kind of a combination of factors. If it wasn't done in oil paints, like I didn't even care. So it's. I had a, I, at the very least, I had a very complicated relationship with comics because it's also what I read all the time. Okay, I see. So you were consuming comics. You were an audience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was. I was definitely, but it was all like through kind of the lens of the other because I, I read a lot of manga in high school and it just felt like that's across the ocean. I don't have to worry about how it's made or like who's doing it and why. So I, I think 2018 was pretty pretty formative. And like just shaking me up and getting me to kind of question everything that I had held about art and about comics. Yeah. So did you just, you know, move to Columbus and you were like, you know what, let's give this comics thing a go. Like, what was it, you know, internally that was like, okay, what kind of switched where you were like, oh, this is something that I want to try. And I feel like I can't excel in this medium. Yeah. Yeah. So like not to get too much into it, but I was raised LDS 
um, grew up in the Mormon church and, and that like really was my sense of self and identity. And in 2018, that all just kind of came to a halt. Um, I came out as trans and got kicked out of school and, uh, like that was just a whole thing. And so I, I moved back to Ohio because that's where my family was. That's where my wife's family like was adjacent to They're down in Kentucky. Um, and it was just kind of a like time to rebuild my life. What does that need to look like right now? Mm -hmm. And so going from one of the most conservative schools in the nation to like a very liberal arts school, it was like drinking from a fire hose and, and just like having to renegotiate a lot very quickly. And so I think when I when I asked the question of like, what, what do I actually want to do for the rest of my life? It, it was almost an act of rebellion to say, I'm going to do the one thing that I never let myself do before. And it happens to be something that Columbus is very uniquely suited for. I was surrounded by incredible comics creators. And it was like, wait, this isn't capes and cows. This isn't like Superman versus Batman. Not that there is anything bad with that, but it just wasn't what spoke to me. And so I think discovering small press comics through the Columbus community was just illuminating. And all of a sudden it was something that I was like, I, I needed more of and couldn't get enough of. Uh, going back to our cabin retreat in Hocking Hills, I remember, you know, one of the things that you talked about pretty adamantly, you know, was that sense of community of this idea that you have a network of people that care about the same stuff you do and are not yeah. maybe not going through the same things as you are. But there's so much common ground in terms of your interests and your practice and, you know, what gets you out of bed every day. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think that is something that it's really hard to replace that, especially in like this sort of quote unquote post pandemic world where we're not as physically connected as we used to be. Yeah. And you know, I, I, you know, I'm of the opinion that uh, a lot of networking and whatnot and socializing and kind of finding your people or whatever in comics, you can do that online for the most part, but it is not a complete replacement for physical interaction with people like, like the Hocking Hills retreat or uh, any small press show that you table at, you know, like that, that stuff that is in a lot of ways irreplaceable. Yeah. And, and like cartoonists are scrappy too. I mean, the pandemic hit and it's like, okay, cool. See y'all in two years. And we all just kind of checked out and, yeah, you know, things came back and there's a resiliency and like an authenticity to my interactions with cartoonists and comic people across the board that like just feels more lasting than like, Hey, we're going to go to a networking event and shuffle our portfolios around the room and right. talk about how great we are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to market myself to you and then maybe we'll be friends. Yeah. Real bleak it's very stuff. Like, <laughs> so, so comics is very frank about, about who, who you are and what we're all about. And it's very open. Yeah. And I feel like the, the, those connections that you make with other cartoonists, it's usually pretty instant, which I find very funny. It's, yeah. You know, it's not something where it's like, oh, you know, you'll warm up to them or they'll warm up to you or whatever. It's usually like within the first 10 minutes <laughs> that you understand, okay, <laughs> can I fuck with this person? Right? Like, yeah, yeah. And, and if you can, then boom, you know, <laughs> y'all are friends. That, that's it. That's the end of it. While we're on that, we might as well talk about the Hocking Hills retreat. So, yeah, yeah. Good times. Yeah. I know you were extremely positive about it because th was this your first run at, at, to the Hocking Hills retreat? 
I, I went to the second one. Oh, you did the winner okay, one. Okay, so you went the winner one. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. okay. So I'd like to hear your take about, you know, your experiences with those two and how they compare and whatnot. Um, just your overall takeaway from it all. Um, well, first of all, both were, were amazing, um, really transformative. The, the winner one was like pretty helter skelter. I mean, there were, there were some like systemic <laughs> issues with, uh, losing the cabin halfway through and yeah. to <laughs> migrate. It was, it was all very harebrained, but I mean, did like the absolute best possible job, um, yeah. keeping it on rails. Yeah. And shout uh, out to MS. I'm going to have to bleep that out. Oh, absolutely. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you bring up. MS, we have been explicitly told oh, okay. not yeah, to yeah, say yeah. the government name, not to like, well, actually, you, but we will beep that okay, just yeah, so yeah, don't yeah. think that it's, you know, anything crazy. <laughs> yeah, It's no, kind of a no, gag no, anytime no, we say okay. it on the show. We're just like, fuck, yeah. <laughs> edit that, god damn it, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. So yeah, like, I think the winter retreat was pretty crazy. Um, I knew like nobody there outside of Craig, not even MS. Uh, we had met like very barely at the Blockford event after the first one. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. And she was like, yo, you're Victoria. I've seen your work. Like you seem cool as hell. Let's do something. And so it, it felt like a very quick friendship mm-hmm. um, going on the retreat, but also like, oh my God, I don't want to be the pity invite. <laughs> but quickly, quickly found like a groove and walked away from it with pretty damn good friends and likewise for the third retreat, like it was just such a, a good time with good people. Um, and that's all I really needed it to be. Do you feel like there was much of a difference between the two outside of, you know, like situational mishaps? Like, do you feel like it was different going in the winter versus the summer as far as getting into the headspace, like willing to work? Like, do you think there were any differences between going at different times in the year? Um, I, I feel like I feel like both kind of took on the, the footprint of everyone's collective personalities. Mm-hmm. And so the winter retreat was maybe a bit more subdued, less less crazy Uno games and and more just like kind of general vibing. Yeah. Lots more drawing in like a very casual sense. I think it was more just a function of the space and the people in it. Tons and tons of couches. And so it was just great to just post up and have a few beers and way more of an excuse to be in the hot tub for hours on end. When it's yeah, like for sure. <laughs> negative something outside. Yeah, I don't like functionally. I felt like they were both kind of two sides of the same coin where I, I feel like it was everyone coming with kind of the same needs for for just interaction um, and finding it in, in slightly different ways. But overall, just kind of the, the same. I, I, I feel like people from both retreats would have the exact same things to say at the end of it. And that's pretty telling. No, for sure. For sure. So all in all, endorsing the MS Harkness cartoonist retreat here on the show. So if there is future ones, I don't know if uh, MS is going to stay true to the uh, word of two times and you're out. But um, if not, maybe we'll we'll run into each other again there. But uh, it's definitely something that I think is beneficial to a cartoonist. It doesn't even have to be that retreat, but just like yeah. bunking up with some other cartoonist for a while. Um you know, a short amount of time or a long amount of time, I think there is something very constructive to that environment. Well, I, I think if anyone were to ask MS, they would say, please, God, go do more of your own. Right. Plan this shit. Like, just go do it. And there's really no reason not to. Like, if you're in a city with, like, even just a handful of artists, go find them, figure it out. Go post up and just spend a week or even just a little weekend. I hope that these can become more commonplace 
and more accessible because like it is just good. It's good to see people and then go back to your daily life. And like sometimes it's just not feasible to be in a giant comics town. Mm -hmm. And so like I'm I'm already it, it, maybe it like turned a key a little bit of, whoa, I'm allowed to do things with people. I'm allowed to like set this up and make shit happen, you know? Definitely. Now, do you think that Columbus is where, do you feel like you're going to put roots down in Columbus and stay there? Um, or is this just kind of something that you see as a stop along the journey? A hundred percent want to stick around. Columbus is definitely home. Uh, my wife and I live about an hour west of Columbus in a small town. Oh, okay. But more or less just kind of staying attached to the Columbus area has been incredible for us. So I, I don't see us leaving anytime soon. Uh, mm -hmm. We bought a house last year, and so we're we're kind of we are definitely like grounded now. But I've also never lived anywhere more than three years, so I have no idea how it's going to pan out. Yeah, I gotcha. Before we get into you know cinnamon, I, I feel like, and then you know the new stuff there. Yeah, you moved in 2018, started you know the comics courses there. Was cinnamon something that you immediately started working on, or what were you working on before that? Oh, man. Okay, so before, so Cinnamon was my senior capstone okay. project. Um, and so I started my senior year. I was only at CCAD for two years. So I had one year prior, and I only got to take one comics class before that. And so I did a couple of one-shots, a couple of single-page comics, like really nothing to speak of. Everything that I did do ended up in kind of this anthology book called Devil Day Dominoes. But there's literally nothing in there that's more than like eight pages. Okay. Cinnamon, like I sat down with the head of the comics program, Lauren McCubbin, like first day of the semester of my senior year and said, I really like never made a comic before. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm here to work hard. So like, give me a lot to do. Like, please send me down every rabbit hole. If you ask Craig about it, he would, he would give me lists of books to read and I'd just go straight over to the library, pick up 20 comics and try and read them all by the next class. Hell yeah. I just, I needed to know as much as possible. And all that just kind of culminated in cinnamon. And so I spent the last year in school kind of chipping away at that first issue. And it, it pretty much made it past graduation and into a publisher without any editing. Um, it really is just kind of the final version of my, my senior project in school. So that was one of your first like actual, like fully realized comic projects besides like the shorter yeah, work. Yeah. Yeah. So hundred percent. You went straight to, well, no, not to say you didn't self-publish, but I mean, pretty quickly, you went straight to being published in the direct market with Behemoth. Yeah, yeah. So was that uh, you taking the initiative to pitch because, you know, is that what they're teaching you in school or how did that happen? Like I was I was like kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do post-graduation. Yeah. Uh, they reached out to me. Okay. So I, I feel like that's, I, I just got, I just got lucky. They, they came to me. Before they had even published anything, they had just acquired the rights to Hotline Miami and like a bunch of other stuff. And and so it was kind of... Yeah, uh, I was going to ask what their deal is. Like it seems like uh, movie adaptations and then video game stuff. And then they'll have original titles like Cinnamon. Yeah, I mean, it's it's across the board. And I think it was a product of, of them being just super new and, and kind of shooting across all bows. Yeah. And so, so they really kind of pitched it as a, if you take a chance on us, we'll take a chance on you kind of a deal. Not, not like as formally as that, but, but that's really what it felt like of, you know, they're, they're very quickly navigating the space and they kind of extended that to me. 
And, and like, I'm glad I said yes. It was scary as hell because it, it did feel kind of odd, like out of nowhere to get, you know, solicited by this publisher with no books out. But I, I liked the things that I was seeing from them kind of behind the scenes and preemptively. And so I just kind of said to hell with it, like wherever this goes, at, at the very least, it'll be experience. And it turned out to be a pretty good move, especially for Cinnamon. Really kind of gave it room to breathe and let me kind of do what I wanted with it. Hell yeah. Now, so you've seen both sides of the coin. You know, you've got a self-published comic uh, about to come out with uh, Biblioware. And yeah. um, being in the middle, you know, seeing that, you know, huge distribution and also having to be like, hey, to get this book, go to your store. Here's the diamond code, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then also you're hitting the road and, you know, doing like self-published zines and comics. Like, what do you think is the like, and it's OK if the answer is both, but what do you feel is the better model? Do you like the DIY approach or do you like the hands off? This is done. The publisher does what they do now. You know, it's that's a tough one, because I, I feel like when I was in school, 100 percent of my interface with comics was small press. Um, it was going to shows like SPX and Cartoon Crossroads, and it, it felt so liberating. It really garnered this this idea of like an artist or a writer is going to give you a book and it's got two covers on it and everything in the middle is what they thought was worth giving to you. And if you take a chance on it, then you get like a banging book. Um, and nobody makes stuff that they don't believe in. But then direct market, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance around it. Um, lots of marketing and lots of hype and lots of review channels who will never say anything negative about a book because why why shoot the little guy in the foot? And so like, I felt like it was great to feel out the direct market. I'm not a big fan of it. I I just it it, it kind of necessitates playing a ball game that I don't really want to be playing of of like promotion that I'm I'm much happier self-publishing or working with much smaller limited publishers, but given the opportunity again to do like a serialized comic, I I would probably take it. I I enjoyed my time with Cinnamon and Still have some things brewing there, but I don't think I've really cut off either option for myself. Is Cinnamon going to continue? Because it was the three issues and now it's a trade. Do you have plans for the future of that? It's a bit in limbo right now. I've, I've kind of more or less stepped away from it for a minute. I, I had started on Cinnamon 2 when the imprint of Behemoth that Cinnamon was on, Happy Tank, kind of splintered off and started Whatnot Publishing which is like a whole crazy thing of its own that like I haven't really decided if that's like the right move for cinnamon because it's it's just kind of a massive ecosystem of of selling and collecting and it's honestly a bit intimidating. I, I'm sitting on kind of an outline and like a finished issue of cinnamon too, but for now I, I'm stepping away to do other projects. Hell yeah. So you kind of teed it up there perfectly. Uh, you said you had other stuff to work on. Uh, I know Biblioware was just printed, I'm assuming, making its debut at CXC. Yeah, it's going to have a, a little debut at Philly Comics Expo this weekend. Oh, okay, so this will air Monday. So hopefully, if you're listening to this, you saw and picked up that book this weekend at Philly Comics Expo. Um, and if not, you can pick it up uh, at CXC, which should be next weekend by the time this airs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, that's out, and uh, that is what you're currently, I guess, quote-unquote, promoting, but you said you were also interested in working on other things. So what can you tell yeah. us about Biblioware and, you know, what what's next comics-wise for you? 
So BiblioWare is a departure from like anything else I've ever done. Um, and it was really kind of a direct product of the first retreat I went on, which was a ton of autobio cartoonists and, and just seeing how people attacked the idea of self-relational comics was eye-opening again. I think, you know, just deconstructing what it is or isn't to like write about yourself and what you're allowed to do. And so BiblioWare is, is just kind of a collection of more a stream of conscious comics where like I'm not really talking about who I am or like what is about me as a person. But by the end of it, you kind of you get the vibe of who I am and what I'm about. So just kind of maybe maybe dry humor is a good way to put it. It's kind of a, a product of technological detritus. <laughs> I'm I'm tired of the Internet. And uh, that really informs this. <laughs> it was a mistake. <laughs> so I saw a tweet that was like, uh, it was talking about like the Avengers movie. And it was just like, the funniest part of the Avengers movie was Ultron spent 10 seconds on the internet and was like, nah, y'all got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, it's the truth, though. It's the truth. Like, like I am definitely a product of the digital age and like grew up on the internet and everything, but like Twitter's everyone on their worst behavior. Yes. Myself included. I log in, (laughs) I see it. I just completely tune out everything. Yeah. So I've kind of gone back to like web 2.0 and just kind of self-hosting my own website and throwing up shit there that like, I don't know, it's it's a bit more decentralized and, and less like I'm being force fed how I should think or feel. And so I, I think that's, God, it's a lot. I have a love-hate relationship with with the internet. No, I agree. I mean, so. me, you know, we could probably make a whole episode on the positives and negatives of that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see you tackle that. We, we touched a little bit about this. Obviously, you've been working digitally for a while now. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about process. What's your process like? for making a comic because you know you did mention you're doing some stuff analog so are you doing like thumbs analog and then doing it all digital or you know what what's what's that like so at at least right now if it's not going to be 100 percent digital which a lot of my stuff is right now i'll typically do thumbs and roughs digitally where i can like cut and slice and chop everything up um and then i'll print blue lines and or I'll, or I'll do it on a light table and ink traditionally, which I've done that mostly for smaller projects, um, anthology contributions, trying to get back into the swing of, of really inking traditionally. I, I sketch pretty much entirely traditionally these days, but I think pairing up the idea of finished work being traditionally inked is, is something that like I, maybe I've been hesitant for because I think the original plan for for cinnamon was to was to ink the whole thing with a with a nib, mm. and I, I think I was just too scared to commit to that at the time. That's fair. That's fair. And so I think I'm just looping back around to that idea because that's like actually getting in with pen and ink is my favorite for sure. Yeah, same. Yeah. But yeah, right now, like I, I lean pretty heavily on the digital pre-production, being able to plot out lines for perspective grids without busting out a ruler in t-square is, is really convenient just kind of saving saving time generally I'll, I'll mock up all the text and make sure it's all set right and then i'll hand ink over it 
because I, I enjoy hand lettering way more than just like typesetting a whole comic and just calling it done. It's like it's missing this critical part of of the skill and process of making a comic that like I feel like it's important to preserve that. Yeah, it is pretty jarring. Like if you were to just just as an exercise, if you were to take any alt comic in the last, I don't know, last 30 years and you were to re- just replace all of the text uh, that's been handwritten or drawn with pre-existing fonts. It's very, very jarring. It it almost it almost makes it a completely different book more often than not, and not for the better. Yeah. I feel like it, it just gets further and further into this like gulf. Yeah. Swallowing the gap. I saw some book, I picked it up, it looked beautiful. It was hand painted watercolor pages, stunning. And then it was just like the most prototypical illustrator speech bubbles uh, and type that like I'd ever seen. And it's, it's like you, you've, you've built such a chasm that like right, you can't even yeah. bear to cross it. Like I just want this to be hand lettered so bad that I, I think that's kind of the chip on my shoulder right now is I just want to hand letter everything for the rest of my life mm-hmm. and just put in, put in the hours to do that. Yeah, no. And I think you're better for it. Yeah. The end result is far more satisfying. Uh, I just, I guess I just don't understand the mindset of, I just spent 600 plus hours working on this comic. And so now I'm going to do these half measures and letter it with a a typeface. I I don't understand that. Yeah. I mean, it's like one thing to scan your own writing in, you know, like I think there might be some merit to that. Like if you make your own font, but yeah. yeah. Like it's to me the most one of the most jarring things about mainstream comics is like how even though there's different letterers working on those books, you wouldn't be able to tell because. Oh, yeah. No, they're all interchangeable. Yeah. Like it all looks so fake. Yeah. But yeah, no, I digress. Yeah. Although speaking of uh, speaking of scanning in your own like letter forms, I discovered about a year ago this extension for for Photoshop and Illustrator called Font Self. Okay. It's a little expensive, if I remember correctly. It was like sixty bucks, mm-hmm. but it you you scan in all your letters, and then it does like kind of that auto job that some of these online generators do of like making a font. But it does really intelligent auto kerning. That oh. is like because I when I was making my own fonts out of my own letters, I was trying to do it all by hand, like <sighs> the hard way. <laughs> yeah, and it was taking hours and hours of kerning. But I highly recommend to anyone who wants to digitize their handwriting to check out FontSelf because it, it like saved my bacon doing cinnamon, especially on like the later issues when I hit a time crunch. And it's like, no, maybe I don't have 30 hours to hand letter. Got to get this out the door. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Really expedited the process um, and worth the pickup if you're committed to digital comics. So regarding, you know, the physical versus digital, I know you said you try to operate in the medium. If you had one thing to say to both sides, like, or I mean, just to like one side, like if you had to make a statement on like the physical versus digital, like, what would you say? Do you think it's like all nonsense that people argue over it? Like, what do you, what's your actual stance? Like, oh man, man, I'm a fence sitter. (laughs) (laughs) I like Mac versus PC. I really don't give a shit. Uh Android versus iPhone. I really don't give a shit. I've, I've made my own decisions based on my needs. The biggest thing for both sides is just be open-minded because you're definitely leaving something on the table. Yeah. Like, doesn't matter what your process is, you can gain something by 
being a little bit more analog or being a little bit more digital or at least not being scared of either of them. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, it, it, it's also about the reason. Because like if you're refusing to draw traditionally because there's no undo button, then maybe you have a crutch and you should get better at drawing. And like sometimes that's the thing people need to hear is just do the thing that makes you uncomfortable because you're really holding yourself back otherwise. Yeah. Force yourself out of that comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, uh, before we get into listener questions, JB, do you have anything that you want to circle back around to or cover? What is one Taco Bell item (laughs) that you would like to see come back to the menu? Oh, geez. I'd love to see nacho fries permanently. Yes, that's probably the best answer. That's like the only real answer. Correct. The, The other item that I really like that surprisingly a lot of people don't remember is they used to have these things called Encheritos that were amazing. Oh, geez. Yeah, it was. That's a while back. Yeah. Do you remember them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were so good. Did you ever have one, JB? I don't think I did. So it was literally just like, uh, it was like kind of small. You know how like they have like the cheese roll up, which is like the most pointless fucking menu item on the Taco Bell <laughs> menu, by <laughs> the way. But it's offensive. Yeah. yeah, like it's, is, yeah. <laughs> if you've never ordered the cheese roll up, it's literally just like the poor person college meal. Like not to say that there's anything wrong with being poor, but it's just literally like a soft like shell taco that they sprinkle a little bit of cheese in and they roll it and microwave it um (laughs) it's like the the saddest thing you can get but they took something that was that size and it had like you know like the beef and the cheese and like some veggies and then they cover it in a red sauce and cheese and you ate it with a fork and uh they used to have like a a commercial song and everything on it uh it was it was really good i would bring that back yeah i was partial uh of the the double decker taco oh same Big. Wait, what's the double decker? Is that not the gordita crunch type deal or No, nah, no. Nah. So it's a it's a hard shell taco. Okay. And then they put uh refried beans and a soft taco over that. Oh, okay. 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 So it's kind of like the kind of like the gordita double stuff or whatever what do they call that? The double cheesy double gordita or whatever, but kind of, yeah. Thinner thinner uh outer tortilla. Uh, yeah. And more I think refried it, beans. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, a lot more. That was the glue. Yeah. yeah, instead of cheese, that's the big kicker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that sounds crazy. Why would they not why would they not keep that on the menu? You could definitely still make that. You probably could. I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's been off the menu for so long, you would just sound like a crazy person to some zoomer that's working. Yeah, they'd be like, What are you talking about? Yeah, that's yeah. not Baja Blast. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. kind of from the days of the two dollar meal deal. Yeah. And it kind of went away about the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Also It is crazy that like you can't get anything for like a dollar at Taco Bell anymore. No. <sighs> yeah, it used to be a country. <laughs> uh, we we also got rid of seven layer burritos, right? Like that's not a thing anymore. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Just yeah. leaning on the five mm. layer. Yeah. Awful. No veggies. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what, what, I, I know a friend of the show, Mike Dick, has talked about this. Or maybe it was... Uh, anyway, they had talked about the Bell Beefer. At one point. Oh, yes. Yes. Which was just a sloppy Joe with taco shit on top of it. Never remember that, but it sounded awful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure my fat ass would have loved it as a kid, but yeah, no. It is fun to say. It's got a cool name. Oh, yeah. The Bell Beefer? Come on. The Bell Beefer, yeah. Yeah. 
Hell yeah. Sorry, we went way off topic there. That's anyway, okay. <laughs> yeah, let's get let's get some questions. Let's yeah, get some absolutely. listener questions going. So as always, if you want to participate in the show, you can follow us online at Gutter Boys Podcast on Instagram, Gutter Boys Pod on Twitter, or you can email us at gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. We did get some listener questions this week for Victoria. Uh, JB, I'll let you start them because my dogs are going crazy. I hear them, yeah. I'm going to actually yeah. step away so you'll hear this. I'm going to tell them to quiet down. I don't know what they're barking at, but go ahead and ask the first question. I'll be right back. <laughs> of course. Okay. Uh, first question from our listeners. Uh, all right. Instagram user Tom Stew Divine asked, the soft finish of your work is the bee's knees. How did you come up with this effect? Oh, geez. So I, I did a comic a few years ago inked on the backside of vellum and then when i scanned it in it kind of did this whole like diffusing the light through the back of it deal Mm -hmm. and like i'd seen this effect online where like you get this kind of soft line art look that feels like it's drawn on tracing paper and so i I think in some part that was an attempt to like recreate it in real life and i really did like the effect and so i i did these high resolution scans and just kind of dissected it and tried to get a drop shadow in Photoshop that the same. Okay. Because you can jump into like the curves of the drop shadow to make right. it more like darker, closer to the edges, and then like drop off exponentially instead of like linearly. And so it, it ended up looking really nice, and I've been slowly dialing it in. And uh, that's actually the, the very next Halftone Hospital resource that I'm plugging away at okay. is... Uh, kind of a, a an explanatory zine how this effect works and why and kind of putting together all of my high-res scans over the years because a lot of software isn't quite as robust with styles and so you have to get the same effect through like gaussian blur on your line art and and like layering right. a couple of blurred layers right okay and so it ends up being pretty nuanced and you just kind of want to feel it out for yourself as well but the quick and dirty answer is you duplicate your line art layer and then gosh and blur it. Hmm. Okay. All right. This is a question from Instagram user Andrew Salsam Art for Victoria. Uh, most influential piece of comic or manga art that influenced you? Oh, man. I, I think there's probably a lot of like answers from my childhood, like Akira, that, that were like super influential to like read. But there is a definite clear most influential, and that's Freddy Carrasco's Gleam. Okay. The first time I went to Small Press Expo was 2019, and he was debuting that book. Okay. And I, I think that was like the aha moment of this is what you're allowed to do with Small Press. This is a lot like it, it's so unhinged and like mm. slow and emphasized on style that like I, I needed to see it. And like my copy is falling apart because I keep rereading it. And just the quality of his line art is so it, it really sent me down a rabbit hole of like Taiyo Matsumoto and like Tekon Kingcrete that uh is is definitely what I what I jive with. So Do you know the reason why that book is out of print right now? I do not. So I mean it might be back in print now, but it was worth some coin for a while, and it's because one of the warehouses uh that Viz was using had a fire and they lost all the copies of that book oh, in the right. fire. That was one of the casualties. Oh, so that's shit. why that book is hard to get right now. I, I ordered first couple volumes of Chainsaw Man and they were on back order for like seven months. 
because it was oh it was, was that like part of the the week of the fire oh yeah. shit um, okay. okay so yeah. they, they said they had it and then they just didn't all of a sudden so mm-hmm. yeah that was wild from what i hear it's yeah. pretty well bounced back but not not fully yeah i would imagine like something that they got the license for and printed like 10 years ago like tech on concrete Maybe they're just like, oh, we can't renegotiate this unless we open up another contract. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a write off. I, I, I'm just speculating there. I'm not saying for sure that I have any kind of inside knowledge, but I imagine yeah. some of those titles that were, you know, just kind of sitting around without any kind of reprintings on the decks. Maybe they're the biggest casualties of that fire. But yeah. All right. Uh, next Damn. question. You got that, JB? All right. Instagram user Mike's underscore not sane asked, what did the initial pitch proof of concept look like for Cinnamon? Uh, luckily for me, the, the pitch looked like a full finished single issue. And that's right. how you get it done. That's how you get it done. Actually, you know, uh, this is, this brings up a good point because there are so many people who do go to school for comics specifically and right out the gate, they have a book and people are like, well, how does, how does that work? And that's because you're working on it the entire time. Yeah. It's yeah. like, as soon as you, as soon as you step out with that degree, you now have a finished book and publishers will definitely edge more towards a yes if you give them something that is already complete meaning there's no wait time they, they don't have to uh you know sit on their hands while you finish the book if it's done and they like it you'll probably yeah. you know you'll probably get that shit published so something to think about for uh you know a lot of a lot of people that are in self-publishing and you're listening to this you probably already have like a pretty lengthy amount of pages or even a completed book on your hands uh just throw it at a publisher I mean, if you really want to go down that path. As part of Cinnamon, we did have to put together like kind of a pitch Bible. But by the time that I was working things out with Behemoth, they really didn't give a shit about it. It right. was like, okay, you know, you've seen this first issue. I mean, the first issue of Cinnamon was just on my website for free. Like, mm-hmm. I, I really didn't put any like emphasis on it. And, and like that, it has to say a lot if you're going to pitch a first issue. Because otherwise the readers, if the readers can't pick up on what the publisher needs to pick up, then they're not going to read the second issue. <laughs> right. So right. It, it better be its own pitch, not for the publisher, but for the for the reader. Yeah. And in, in a way that even like graphic novels or longer just books don't need to negotiate, because if you spend money on a book, you're going to read the whole book. Yeah. But if you buy an issue one, there's nothing to say you need to buy the next installment without the hook. Right. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like a different a different type of creating experience altogether. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just uh, if you're not like an auteur doing everything yourself, that can be a whole lot more difficult to like collaborate and get people on board. Like, hey, make this comic for free so that I can pitch it. Doesn't really like ring too well to people, mm-hmm. but do everything you can to give the most complete product you can and at least get a few pages inked. That's like a necessity. Yeah, right. for sure. Well, it's like you also have to show to people, not just readers, but also publishers, that like you're capable of being consistent and putting something out from yeah. beginning to end. No, for sure. And, you know, if you can do that, then hey. You, you That's can, half the uh, battle. Yeah, exactly. More yeah. than half the battle, honestly. That's like 85% of the battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All righty. Next question came from friend of the show and previous retreat alumni, E. Joy Mayer. Uh, what advice would you give to someone just starting out with nibs and ink? I oh, guess that's man. kind of for if anybody has any catch-all uh, tips. Uh, me, I don't have any because I'm Micron and uh, digital. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd say try a bunch of nibs. 
you know, get get the like the prestigious like Hunt 102 or the Genib, like pick up all the cool stuff that people love, but really just, you know, go down to Michael's and buy some shit nibs and just do it a lot. I guess I don't have any like specific advice because like it, it's so odd as someone who like is so focused on tools and the trade and the process of creating things like in the end, it feels like the tool is just an extension of what you want to make with it. So if it, if it fits that bill, by all means, keep using that nib. I like that. It's an extension of what you want to make with it. That's profound. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Uh, You don't have any, uh, you don't have any nib uh, ink advice, JB? I don't, I don't fuck with nibs. Never use them. (laughs) Don't really want to. I'm not, I'm not trying to be an old timey, like, you know, OG, like cartoonist type. I will, I will stick with my brush pens and I'll be fine. I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. I guess if I had any recommendations for like pens and nibs, I personally use the Zebra G nibs um, and PH Martin Blackstar ink. It's just super duper black. But I also use just like whatever the Blick India ink Black Cat is um, in a pinch when I don't have access to Blackstar. So really it's if you're going to be scanning it in anyways, you can adjust levels. So it doesn't even really matter what ink you use anymore. True. Yeah. This is not uh, nib or ink related, but on the trip, I tried out those Tombow pens and I'm never looking back. Those things are awesome. Um, so yeah, those things are in the rotation. I've been, I've got one on me at all times right now. So that's nice. pretty sick. Nice. nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I just found out that Blix started carrying Lamy fountain pens. Oh, okay. And I've been trying to play with those for a long time. So I picked some up just yesterday and I've been drawing with them like a fiend. You like it? Um, I really like it. Yeah. Hell yeah great kind of chunky pen to just have on me sick uh instagram user draw b hell what up drew happy birthday by the way oh shit it's his birthday today oh shit i I don't know if it's his birthday birthday, but they were uh ms and drew were making uh creme brulee on the sidewalk on instagram stories for drew's birthday (laughs) okay maybe his birthday i'm not sure yeah gotta confirm that later uh it's it's coming up uh i believe the second the first of the second okay so yeah oh, uh, okay that'll literally be the day at the this airs the day after that so happy belated drew there you go there you go all right uh he asked best worst pizza in columbus i'm actually interested in this too so oh man i'm gonna give a lot of hot takes then well it, oh. hang on before we do this is columbus like <laughs> renowned for pizza and i just didn't know it, columbus has really good pizza okay they want it to be known as Columbus style pizza. What and is Columbus style? It's like party cut. So like the, the little squares, like the three inch square cut. Yeah. On kind of a thinner crust with like handmade sausage, usually a Supreme. It's good shit. Like it really is good. I think people okay. outside of Ohio are pretty resistant to be like, Columbus doesn't have their own style of pizza. What are you talking I, about? I will say this does sound but, eerily similar to Chicago style. And I'm not talking about deep dish stuff nonsense. I'm talking about like what Chicagoans actually think about when they when they think of pizza, which is thin crust, cut in squares, hmm, okay. bar style, tavern style pizza. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, it's a whole institution. I feel like it's kind of Midwest. Probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, Ohio had a huge influx of Italian immigrants, like turn of the century. 1908 Mm -hmm. 
So you see a lot of these places that are like open for 120 years. We make it the same way grandpa used to. And uh, it really has just kind of stuck around. So um, I was I was surprised by by how good um, some of the pizza was uh, to a point where I wrote a comic about it for the Columbus Scribbler. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That caused a lot of incendiary comments my way. <laughs> oh shit! All right. <laughs> People get really opinionated. But the uh, the worst pizza is probably the Wizard of Zaw. Not not because the pizza itself is bad. It's like super mid, but it's on like a four month waiting list. Oh. And like it was one of these dudes Dude, making pizza. White people love in their... waiting for shit. <laughs> they love yeah, lines. So... They love. <laughs> they... It's so bad. Like that doesn't make it more premium. So what's the deal? Is it like just X amount of pizzas made per day? Like what's the thought process? Yeah, here? yeah. Well, it was it was just one dude making them in like his garage for a minute, and he ended yeah. up getting a getting a space and getting an oven and like kind of starting a restaurant. But by then mm-hmm. the hype was just unreal, and so he he started like pushing out further and further in like how long he was willing to accept reservations for, and it's it's like not even. It's not that it's bad pizza. It's like a Sicilian style, kind of a thicker crust with like fresh basil on it and stuff. Like it, it's it's fine, but it's not anything like to die for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, if anything, it led to a bunch of other Sicilian style pies opening up in Columbus to kind of compete and to say, hey, we're doing the same thing, but you don't have to wait four months to get it. <laughs> you can just walk in and buy the same pizza. So did you beat the crowd or did you actually wait four months to try this pizza? Oh, just waiting. Yeah. Damn. You know, but it's like, it's fine. The dude who was making them just recently stepped away from the business as a whole, which is like kind of odd to me because it, it was always this idea of this one man making pizzas. And so now who knows what they're actually doing, but people are still going crazy over this pizza. It just feels hollow now. Hmm. No part of it's left from when it first started. Yeah, it's so, become something completely different. Yeah, yeah, and so I, I think, I think that loses not for being the worst pizza because it's so easy to dunk on like Domino's. Right. It's just shit. Yeah, you know, Little yeah. Caesars. Who gives a fuck? You know, but uh, yeah, worst pizza for just like being weird about it. Very inaccessible pizza. If you can find me a better pizza for six dollars. That's there already. Like, I don't even have to fucking wait. I just go to the place and it's there. If you can find me a better deal than that, fine. All right. You can talk shit about, about Little Caesars. Little Caesars all you want. You can talk all your Absolutely. shit. Absolutely. But yeah, well, and I will say this, like, and I may have said this on the show, but for the extra dollar, like Little Caesars still has like the $5 deal, mm-hmm. but they have like the, for a dollar more, you get what's called, what they call the extra most best version of the pizza. And it's a legit yeah. pizza. Like, spend the extra dollar, and it's like, you can't hate on this pizza. I mean, for being chain pizza, in my opinion, anyways. L- Little Caesars with sriracha on it is like... Okay. I see nostalgia. the Nostalgia. There's no Hungry Howie's in the Midwest, right? I kill for Hungry Howie's. We I had love one. Hungry Howie's. Yeah, in the hometown I grew up in. Are you for real? It, yeah, I love the different flavored crusts they do. The fact yeah. that you can get like a little personal pan and also very underrated i don't know i haven't had i haven't had hungry howie since like oh four because they closed our towns but um Damn. they used to do like the calzone yeah deals yeah. like 
And those were oh. so good. You could get like an Italian sub calzone, and it was so good, man. <laughs> yeah, we had all of them. Uh, we so. had a bunch of them in Florida, so uh, I was I was definitely a, a hungry Howie stan. Yeah, they man. they still have them up in Detroit. Okay, and my wife are going up there for a show in October, end of October, and so we're we're like three days of the weekend. We're going to be getting hungry Howies. <laughs> Hell yes! What's your what's the crust seasoning you go with in hungry Howies? Oh, what is it? The garlic parmesan? Mm, mm-hmm. Oh, it's like yeah. classic. Yeah, they they might not. Well, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's been like almost 20 years, but I used to always do like the pain in the ass movie. I'm like, hit it with the, the ranch and the Cajun seasoning. Oh, Cajun. Hell yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Very That's awesome. Good shit. Not, not enough love for Hungry Howie's. Yeah. And no, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's still like the because I remember you used to get like the little 10 inch pizzas and they'd be like three ninety nine, like which was cheaper than yeah. Little Caesars, but smaller. <laughs> yeah. But you used yeah. to be able to get $4 pizzas from Hungry Howie's. It rocked. I don't think they're uh, that much more expensive. I feel yeah. like <laughs> I'd be very surprised if they were breaking 10 bucks. But, you know, yeah. that's just that's just me. It's true. Actually, that, yeah. that segue is good into Detroit. Because I love Detroit style pizza, which is like kind of an it, it's its own thing in the Midwest landscape of pizza, right? Like it's yeah, yeah. The only the closest comparison to it is maybe deep dish, and even then, it's like not not really the same at all. Well, because they do the thing where somehow the best thing about the Detroit pizza is like that risen layer of cheese on the crust, yeah. like it's like the little like almost like they're like jagged shards. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you caramelize yes. the cheese. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get, which is why the best deep dish Chicago pizza you can get does that with theirs. It's like a, a caramelized crust around the edge, and it's, it's fucking great. Sorry, I don't. I, I know we weren't supposed to really drag this all the way down into nothing but pizza talk for 20 minutes, but... Uh... Oh, please. Well, I just want to say, no. one big thing for pizza with me is... Um, I've actually never been to New York City, but I like New York City. Well, yeah, sorry, I like the the New York pizza slice um, because I love pizza slices so big you can fold them. I fold think that them. is yeah. an elite move. Yes, not That's enough people embrace that because if you're going to have a pizza, it's just the cutting that makes the slice big. Um, there's a lot of those in Florida, mostly because there's been so many New York, New Jersey folks that are transplants and then they move over to to, to Florida. So there's a lot of New York style spots there, especially in Central Florida, where you can get a really nice, just giant slice that you fold it up, and it's that's really good. Hell yeah! Uh, not so much in Chicago, I found. It's like the the places that even do buy the slice terrible, like the the worst fucking pizza you've ever had. So you never had a good <laughs> buy the slice in Chicago? No, no, and really, uh, maybe there there is one exception there, but it's like a kind of like a, a fancy bougier pizza place uh in logan square so i don't really count it but uh, i mean they they do technically buy the slice but i don't i'm i'm sorry if you're paying eight dollars for a slice that's not in my mind's eye that's not what i'm thinking of when i think of like buy the slice pizza like that should that should better be below Agreed. five bucks for a slice of pizza oh yeah for sure it's true so so i gotta plug my favorite place in columbus oh yeah, yeah please do please because it'll it'll upset a lot of people it is a small place called the carlos sounds legit it is super legit so it's it's a very special subset of columbus style pizza called ohio valley pizza mm. okay and uh it's controversial so you you do a, a big square sheet pie with a bunch of sauce on it like more than you would think you should 
mm-hmm. and you just cook it like that. Okay. Um, and then it comes out of the oven piping hot yeah. and you put on frozen cheese and frozen pepperoni and then you serve it immediately. Whoa. So it's like a Lunchable almost. It is. It is the, the adult like gourmet Lunchable pizza. Okay. I would try it, but is it also, I mean, it's your favorite you said, so there's got to be something it's to so it. so good. So what is well, it? If you what, ask, what, what about it is, is like so enticing to you? So it's 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 definitely like a duality of really hot kind of crispy cracker crust and then cold cheese and pepperoni on top. Interesting. It's very nostalgic. I really do like pizza lunchables. Like the, oh. that's that's kind of the <laughs> okay. root of it. Yeah. But it's it's just a very unique slice of pizza and it's a lot of really good texture. Okay. Because the the crust does doesn't have to care about like the the cheese overcooking or the pepperoni. Sure, yeah. And so, like, it's a way less greasy pie. Mm-hmm. If you ask for extra cheese, they'll just give it to you in a little baggie, like, totally frozen. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like, if you're going to take it home or something, you just take it home and yeah. put the cheese on yourself. That's funny. Okay. So, so this is actually, just, like, a thing, though. Like, other restaurants yeah, do this because you yeah. said it was, like, a what, Ohio Valley style? Yeah, Ohio Valley style pizza, which there's okay. very few left that do it. And DiCarlo's is, like, the major like institution they have like three or four locations in in columbus so big enough to franchise like it's a big enough type of pizza to franchise out i guess yeah yeah well people who like it really love it Mm -hmm. sure but it 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 gets people's panties in a bundle um because it's it's very different now the sauce the sauce is it edging more on the sweeter side more on the acidic side i'd say you know like i'd say less sweet kind of just edging towards savory that's good okay all right i'll fuck yeah i'll try it i'll try it i'm not gonna write it off but i will say that it is uh, i've never heard of it and it's surprising and jarring i'm actually google imaging it right now and it just looks like you made a lunchable (laughs) yeah i mean that's exactly what what it looks like do you remember when lunchables like went into like mega mode for a while um (laughs) yeah and they yeah yeah, this looks just like the mega mode lunchable like where it was like a square crust and yeah i would try this looking at a picture of it i would try it well next time you're in columbus i'll hook you up i'm hesitant yeah no i i'm actually like this actually like next time i'm there i'm gonna make a stop just to try this like (laughs) i have to I'm yeah, I would love to try it. I am a little hesitant only because as a kid I was not a fan of the pizza lunchables. Damn. Okay. So I'm hoping that that doesn't affect how I how I appreciate this or not. So Yeah. Uh but like I said, willing to try it. Sounds interesting. Yeah, it's a whole ass mm. thing. They have a like a local cherry soda that like I don't know, I associate it with the Carlos. So worth worth okay. picking up a four pack or whatever. It's good shit. So that's that's my top so, yeah. pick for Columbus style pizza or for Columbus pizza in general. All right, Drew. Well, there you go. Dividing the scene further. Good job. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Next question. Actually, not a question. Just a comment from a friend of the show, Aaron Leffler, Instagram user Poops McGee and the Dirty Three. Not a question, but thanks for the halftone hospital resources and the work you put in it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you from us too. You know, I, I use it as well. So really cool. I'm shit. glad. I'm glad. It, it's really my way of saying thank you to the comics community. Like really, it just feels like I can't do enough for all these people who have made such a difference to me. And uh, mm-hmm. so if I, if I can give back the one thing I'm really fucking good at, like I'm, I, that's what I'm here for. So make cool comics with them. Thanks for using them. Hell yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, 
Instagram user mild underscore pain. Shout out to Abby. Oh fuck yeah, yeah. she What's is up? the best. Yeah, yeah we'll yeah, uh, she, we'll have Abby great. on the show at some point. Awesome. Uh, sooner than later. Yeah. So yes. Uh, all right. So uh, she asked for Victoria thoughts on the GameCube game Shadow the Hedgehog. Oh fuck. So that game came out on my wife's birthday. So mm-hmm. that's a whole ass thing. It was the first video game that I played that had swear words in it. Oh, there's swear words enough. in Shadow the Hedgehog? Yeah, yeah. When he dies, he like falls off the cliff and he says, damn. Damn you. No, it's not true. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty hardcore. Uh. <laughs> so I'd play the game on mute. I played the entire game on mute because I was scared of God and my parents. Yeah. <laughs> it is a gem and we play it on my wife's birthday. Not every year, but we pull it out every couple of years because it's it's truly horrible. <laughs> it is really bad. And the, is like, it not a side scroller? Is it when they try to do the 3D thing? Yeah, yeah, it was a 3D thing, and it was okay. like each level had the evil or the good ending, and you would go to a totally different level based on how like evil you were. And so like you, the the game takes only like three hours to play because you do like four levels, but it's it's all like kind of choose your own adventure shit. Okay. Um, and so then you get the bad ending and you go back and you get the good ending. And I think there was like 30 different endings. So I was a huge fan. I mean, it was like my favorite game series at the time, but then they just gave him like an assault rifle. Oh. And that was really appealing. <laughs> was just Sonic with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, man, you just you gave the people what they wanted, um, which was Shadow with mm. a bazooka. Yeah. Or a Glock. So... Yeah, big fan. So do you fight... I've played Sonic, of course, but do you fight Sonic? And is Sonic like the boss in the Shadow games? Yo, you fucking kill Sonic. Oh, okay. If you're that, okay. If you're that bad. Oh, like, so that's one of the endings where you can kill him. Yeah, yeah. Or it's like this like off-screen insinuation of death, but... Yeah. He's still like... It's pretty heavy for a Sonic the Hedgehog yeah, series and, game. Yeah, and Sonic's cracking jokes till the end. It's like still a Sonic game, but he just loses. Yeah. <laughs> hell it's yeah. crazy as hell. Yeah, big fan... I, I think I was obsessed with it for like a year in like middle school. It was it was a lot. Somehow rated E10 plus. Everyone ten and over. Yeah. So did they end up remastering this? I don't think so. I think it. Okay, it so you got to die on the GameCube. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, that does it for listener questions, Victoria. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, before we get out of here, though, just go ahead and plug your stuff. Where can people find you online? Where can they follow you? Uh, what can they buy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, so you can find me online um, on Instagram at blackbit.exe or at my website blackbit.world. I'll be putting out my new book here in about a week. Um, hopefully, going to have it up in an online shop soon by the end of the year. But if not, catch me at Cartoon Crossroads or Philly Comics Expo next year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Head to halftonehospital.com if you want free comics resources and like digital assets for comic creation. Um, I put stuff out, try and put something out once a month at least and uh, no end in sight. So keep making cool ass comics. Awesome. Hell yeah. Yep. Uh, well, that'll do it for this episode. Tune in next week when we uh, further discuss Taco Bell and pizza. Stay gutter. Stay gutter.